Good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever you're watching. And thank you once again for joining us for another episode here at amazing.com, where we talk to industry leaders and influencers from different organizations. And even as we're talking today from uh, really the hub of it all, the CNCF itself. Uh, I'm Twain Taylor, editor at amazing.com. And uh, we're bringing this to you just on the cusp of the KubeCon Europe, which is uh, about to happen in mid-April, uh, April 17th to the 21st of the dates. And it's it's happening in Amsterdam. Uh, so, uh, you know, some of you are watching this, uh, you know, you may be going there. This would be a good way for you to warm up to it. And we're going to be speaking today uh, with Taylor Dolezal, who is the head of ecosystem at CNCF. Uh, we already had him on last year, uh, where he gave us a lot about, uh, you know, what's happening in the space, really got us excited about getting involved uh, with what the CNCF does. Uh, so we thought we'd get him back again this year, uh, because so much has changed since uh, the last year. And so, uh, Taylor, it's great to have you back. We have so much to catch up on. Thanks for coming back. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I am blown away at the fact it's already been a year. My my goodness, that means I've got birthday cards and things like that to send out to people. I got so much to do. <laughs> so much has changed, just like you said. Yeah, well, I love the energy you bring and just the vibrance to the conversation. I really enjoy chatting with you. It's never a dull moment. <laughs> um, you know, so I just want to uh, start off with talking about uh, the KubeCon that's coming up. So it seems like the tickets have been sold out for a while already. So we're, we're recording this in uh, early March sometime. And so it's still a month away, more than a month away, and tickets already sold out. Uh, how come it sold out so fast? Yeah, so we, it's a great question. We've had so much, uh, so much discussion around KubeCon and how we lay things out. So there is a big thing that changed as far as the tickets go as it pertains to KubeCon, CloudNativeCon. So what's happened is we've actually split the tickets into two types, one of which is called the All Access Pass, and that includes the co-located events that will be happening on Tuesday and, and essentially earlier in the week. Um, we got a lot of feedback around folks saying you know, that the week was really long. It's Great to see everyone in person and to talk through all these cloud native contexts, but having multiple days of co-located events and then the conference itself is just, it's a lot to deal with. So we're we've taken a look at kind of compressing that time such that folks have a little bit better experience. They're able to experience uh, all those co-located events on Tuesday. And those all access passes are the items that have sold out. What's kind of nice about that uh, as well is that since it's an all access pass, you can go into each of the colos. So if you uh, you don't have to you know buy into uh, co-located event A, B, and C separately, you can just kind of pop around and go to the topics of interest that you might have too. So give people a little bit more flexibility in choosing things on that front, which isn't quite nice. And then um, uh, the regular passes for KubeCon, so Wednesday to Friday, those tickets are still available and will be available oh, okay. up until when you walk in. So, so those are still open, but uh, but yes, the the, the uh, all access passes just went like that. Uh, quite quite okay. great, great to see, a great problem to have, and yeah. uh, not so fun to tell people that like, oh no, I'm so sorry, those sold out. But yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, yeah, it definitely sounds like a lot of demand. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, Amsterdam is a fun place. So yeah, I'm sure a lot of people want to be there as well. Uh, you know, so I wanted to just uh, catch up with you and talk about, ask about what's been happening in the CNC of uh, ecosystem and just what end users are up to. Just pretty much give you, uh, you know, the stage to kind of tell us what's been, what you've been noticing, what's on your mind, what would you like to share with us today about uh, the end users specifically? Yeah, so uh, like you had said, there's so much that's changed even within that space within the past year. Mm -hmm. When I'm speaking with end users, the biggest thing that I'm hearing from them is that they're truly trying to prioritize time. Um, I, I know you might have some other questions around uh, what the world looks like right now and the the financial climate and the market and everything like that. I'm happy to get to those points a little bit later, but um, that that time concern really enters into the discussion at that point in time as well. Uh, we're being asked to do more with less folks. And so all of these things are, are coming together. 
And that really does put some pressure on end users to figure out where to invest their time, what makes the most sense. And we have a whole bunch of areas and ways in which people can get involved with our community, contribute back. But in some cases, some some organizations might be working on mission critical things. They might not have the time to be able to come into meetings and join things, right? It's, it's difficult on that front. So uh, the CNCF is looking for more ways to create useful artifacts, reports, and things to help end users on that front too. You know, when things get difficult, we want to be the place that you can kind of lean on and depend on as it pertains to getting educated within the space or learning from others about some of the best practices available. Um, end users right now are most focused on project stability and really in, in different patterns that are applicable to them. So we're seeing a lot of renewed interest around CNCF's end user groups. Um, those are developer experience, the financial services user group. Uh, we just spun one up, which I'll be announcing on stage at KubeCon called the public sector user group. And that's one that's focused on uh, some of the more uh, government related and public sector type companies, obviously public sector being in the name, but mm -hmm. uh, re really fascinating discussions about air gaps, networks and upgrades and edge computing. Um, that, that is one thing that we're seeing fairly consistent, uh, both with end users and with vendor members and the overall ecosystem, is that folks are really starting to explore edge computing because, again, trying to find out where the best places are to cut costs or be more efficient uh, as, it, as it pertains to edge computing, that can be a little bit more sustainable too. So we're seeing quite a bit of nod towards the sustainability movement and uh, I think it was Valencia, uh, the folks at Intel got on stage and showed the graph of energy usage for different programming languages, which is very interesting to see. Uh, it looks like Go and Rust and C are doing a little bit better than uh, Python and some other ones there too. So I'm, I'm really excited to see the debate around that. Like, well, no, we, this is a different way we can measure that. You know, there's all of that discussion I'm very enthusiastic about seeing and finding out ways to be more efficient with our energy usage, our software, and just how how, how do we actually focus on these things? Mm -hmm. um, very, very exciting. Uh, WebAssembly is also coming up into the, the a regular discussion, and then quite some interesting topics on artificial intelligence with ChatGPT and uh, GPT-3 and maybe 4 soon, all, all of those discussions and how we deal with that from a legal and security perspective as well ha have been very relevant topics. So I know that was a lot to, to kind of expand okay. upon, wow. but happy to, happy to dive deeper, but so much going on and, and all yeah. this fascinating discussion. Yeah, so many sectors. I mean, you touched on public sector, uh, fin uh, the financial sector, AI, uh, edge computing. Wow, there's just so much. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, I mean, some people think it's uh, you know things are not happening out there, and it's kind of a gloomy time. But then, when you listen to all of these things that are happening, I mean, there's just so much uh, in so many places. There's innovation happening all the time, and some of these things that you mentioned are really, really interesting. Um, you know, so those are the end organ the the end users, the organizations that actually use these products. Uh, could you also tell us a bit about how uh, the community itself has evolved, how the vendors in the space evolved, uh, what's new in the space, how have they changed uh, their approach towards cloud native over the past year? What is significant? What's been great with the relationship between vendors and end users and, and just all of the folks within our community and, and our membership is I'm, I'm honestly I, being very transparent with you. I, I'm always incredibly surprised by the ability of vendors and end users to work together. Uh, I've had many conversations with end users uh, around, you know, I, kind of thinking that it's a CNCF's job, in, in my opinion, it's a CNCF's job to really give back and help our end user community to achieve their best outcomes. And uh, usually it's folks asking for help in that front. So, but when I talk with more and more folks, the, the conversation they have with me is saying, Taylor, what can we do to help? We want to get involved. And so I'm always kind of uh, taken aback by the amount of uh, interest and ability for of these groups to help. It really, it really touches my heart. It's great to see. And I'm just not used to that having worked in as an end user at Disney, uh, working in HashiCorp, there's always kind of a business plan or guiding principle or mission to follow. And Really, when you get down to it, when you get to interact with all these folks, it's truly such a great tight-knit community that wants to help one another out. 
Um, if there's, it's not prioritizing money made over the ecosystem, it's truly like, how do we make this ecosystem last for a very long time and work together to achieve that? So um, it makes me always happy to see, but I'm always surprised by that in, in, in the best way possible. I, I really like that. So that's been a big thing is just people working together to uh, make uh, the, the developer experience that much better, right? I think a lot of people are starting to realize that if something is difficult to use or hard to implement, it's not going to be easily adopted, if at all. And so by working together, we can find ways to achieve all of our goals, which is great to see. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I mean, I think it's definitely an era of more collaboration than competition, and that's just great to see. Uh, you know, so uh, recently there's been a report as well that uh, has been released, uh, you know, uh, from the CNCF, uh, the CTO Summit Report. Uh, I'd like to hear a bit more about this. I kind of I've glanced through it. I've seen, uh, you know, uh, the some of the key points it makes. Uh, if you could tell us a bit about, you know, uh, the the report, how it came about, and you know why we should take this serious. Uh, in a sense, who should who it's meant for, and uh, some of the key takeaways from it. Uh, that would be great. Yeah, yeah. So the CTO Summit is a series that we kicked off at KubeCon Cloud Native Con in Valencia. So that was last year's Europe event. And that was the, the first time that we had done something like that. We gathered together okay. folks from the end user community, executive leadership. So CTOs, VPs of engineering, directors, people with a understanding of their organization's cloud native strategy and what, what their overall perspective is within mm -hmm. their, their organization. The first topic that we talked about was achieving resiliency in multi-cloud. And so we have that report available as well. We released that a couple months back um, last year. And sure. that was a really great discussion. It was it was difficult to keep things focused on uh, uh, achieving resiliency in multi-cloud because there are so many different organizations that we had there and so many perspectives. The conversation was colorful and, and interesting and, and we had a lot of takeaways on that front. And uh, but it was difficult to write that report and sum everything up because we had so many different kinds of thoughts and uh, on on uh, in that conversation. Great to great discussion. We wish we had like three days to talk about all of it. Um, some of those draw of ups into a report. How many pages does it go approximately? Like ten pages, fifteen? Like nine hundred? No, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> I think I think I, I forget how many pages that one was, but it it's um I, I'd I'd say both both reports are probably around like ten to twenty pages of, of content. Okay. Um, hmm. it, it definitely easier to consume. Definitely worth rec uh, recommending you to save it to your read later application and have it as a good reference point too, because there's some good takeaways from from that report. Um, the hmm. more recent one that we did was focusing on. Uh, differing levels of cloud native maturity uh, focused okay. on per the provisioning category of the cloud native landscape. So how are folks provisioning? What are their concerns around container registries or keys or automation software? You know, are they using Terraform, Bash scripts? What what, what are people actually using out there in, in real world applications and, and infrastructure? What are their concerns? So a lot of those takeaways were around open source being a great way to to invest your time in that you know it's if you are one of 80 organizations all trying to do the same thing does it make sense to solve on your own or could you benefit from speaking with others on that subject within the community and the answer was the latter of, of course speaking with people and learning from others and not having to make the same mistakes or success points you could just kind of download those immediately and and be up to speed with some of the latest and greatest tips on yeah. how to in integrate within your organization. So that was, I, I'd say most of the takeaways circle around that, but mm -hmm. the other thing that has come up time and time again is uh, way reference architecture, blueprints, ways to do these things. And the CNCF, I, I've always wanted that too, before I joined the CNCF at Disney, I was like, I, what's the best way to do thing X or Y or Z? And the CNCF doesn't intentionally provide that because they want to be a vendor neutral organization. We, we don't want to pick the winners out of any of the solutions available. But the way around that is by speaking with end users and getting them to share the ways that work best for them and elevate their success to others and then market that out. That's the way, that's the, the kind of chosen path for the CNCF is we will help elevate you and elevate your voices and your findings, your successes, your failures, what, 
all this knowledge that you want to share with others so that we can all be better together. And that makes for a better kind of outcome as well in that we're not saying, you know, the only way for you to make this thing happen is to use technology X. It's like, no, no, no. There's so many ways to make things come to light or to achieve your success within your organization. And being the vehicle to drive that is the most important thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to connect the dots and I definitely see a lot of common uh, points, you know, between the things you were mentioning about, uh, you know, first you spoke about uh, one of the primary, uh, you know, concerns of the end user organization is to save time get more done with less. And then you're talking about, you know, not uh, building everything from scratch on your own, just look around, there's probably someone else working on it and there's something open source available. And uh, yeah, so so there are definitely a lot of themes like that, uh, you know, and um, so, yeah, uh, you know, related to that as well, I've seen one of the terms that I've seen, uh, you know, uh, talk being talked about a lot in, in uh, the past year is platform engineering or the platform model, uh, where uh, you know it has it, it ties together a lot of these things where you know you have an internal developer platform, uh, you know. And so, uh, could you talk a bit about why uh, this trend has become uh, so popular in the past year? Uh, why is it that so many organizations are talking and championing this uh, this platform model, especially like uh, you're talking about the architecture? Uh, why why is the platform model uh, so prevalent today? Another great question. I, I I love this discussion and and this forum because it's so interesting around how folks adopt DevOps. Essentially, um, we when we take a look back at project management and the agile movement, it, it really when it comes to DevOps and when it comes to agile they're very similar in that they're never the same in any organization. There's always a little bit of a difference in how it's adopted. It's, it's a great concept to get started with and then how it permeates your organization is truly up to you and, and your internal community within your organization. And the platform movement, I, I've seen that happen uh, organically in a couple of places before that was a trending topic. Um, funny enough, a lot of funny, not funny enough, a lot of people have chosen platform before that kind of came into our, the, the buzzword language that we've been working with and, and speaking on. That uh, We've seen the SRE movements come along, and that was kind of an instantiation of DevOps principles and, and, uh, and, and topics. Um, so some of the history behind that is that as we started to move to DevOps, uh, we, we, the infrastructure teams started relying a little bit more on the application developers. And there was this whole shift left movement, when it, whether it be security, configuration management, anything that helps us, a uh, 12-factor application, anything that helps us move into the cloud. However, that put a lot of responsibility on the developers, and that might not be their best use case, you know? If, if you if say I'm a carpenter and then I have to start, you know, building a house, uh, now I need to start relying on setting up the electricity and the plumbing and all this. I'm like, well, I, I shouldn't be asked to do everything. And that's my personal belief with developers and infrastructure folks. Um, there's there's no uh, uh, negative sentiments there, but it's this want of, hey, everybody pitch in, everybody can do a little bit. But by shifting left, you can intentionally or unintentionally put a lot onto the development teams. It's great to know about, right? As a developer, it's great to know about how infrastructure works and is put together. It's always important to understand the foundation that you build your, your, your stuff on top of. But in terms of having to do all of it, I disagree with that notion personally. Uh, I, I think it's a lot more beneficial when you can allow each different job and uh, responsibility principle to kind of operate within its best interest and what are your core competencies and concerns? That's what you should be focused on, because then that lets you become better at your craft and share things with others. Uh, and, and technology will only keep abstracting and getting more nuanced and more complex as we add more and more and more layers. So uh, platform engineering is a great way to help separate those concerns by having a platform that you're able to spin up your containers or your orchestration frameworks or your logging, auto scaling, all of those kinds of concerns that kind of allows a different in experience for folks. Developers can focus on how to integrate with the platform, and then infrastructure folks can then work with the platform teams to create a better experience. They can work with security and legal teams to make sure that all of your organizations, uh, you know, you need to keep your logs around for 10 years. 
that's a great thing for those teams to work on together. So it really is creating almost a new role that is a much better experience for everybody to work within. Uh, so I've seen a lot of people focus on building the platform first, just because a lot of infrastructure teams don't have the time uh, to, to develop out those core competencies. And then same thing with legal and, and uh, finance and security, like all you have to interact with all of those folks too and figure out what the best practices are there as well. So um, that's, a, again, a little bit longer explanation, but uh, further encompassing what is this movement, how did it come along and, and how are folks leveraging it right now? Um, a, a lot of folks that have mature platform teams are also starting to look at machine learning and artificial intelligence, this ML ops kind of operation. Uh, because it, it's when things go down, you might not always need a human's help, right? Uh, we should let machines do what they're best at. You'll, you'll inevitably always need a person to get involved or at least monitor things, make sure things are, are looking good as you expect. But um, it, there's a lot that we can learn from specific outages or, or outcomes with machines and just have the computers fix themselves because we have data on how, you know, how this happened and then how to fix it as well. So it's also a very interesting space I'm excited to see come along. Yeah, yeah. You know, we've been talking to a few of the startups even recently who are just using AI in these ways, you know, to help sort of uh, make infrastructure more resilient, to uh, improve monitoring, you know, uh, spotting anomalies and stuff. So a lot, lot of stuff like that that uh, we've been seeing, and it's really, really interesting. Uh, also, it, it, it's, it's great that you mentioned even just the connection with DevOps from the past, because it was just a few years ago that we we're talking about breaking silos between Dev and Ops, and that's what DevOps is about. And uh, before that, we, you know, we, we, when Amazon AWS started, you know, they were talking about you build it, you run it, uh, pizza-sized team. So it seems like we kind of like a pendulum. We we swing from one end to the other, and we <laughs> kind of find equilibrium somewhere along the way. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I think yeah, the platform uh, model. I would say it's probably a more mature way of looking at uh, how these teams interact with each other. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think that it's, I like trying to think about team formation and structure, just like you said, uh, having the team focused on how to drive an outcome and run their own things, focus on their run times, focus on efficiencies. That's a great way to go about looking at things. And if you have a pie chart, you know, I always try to think in terms of a pie chart. Are, are, we, are we relying too much on an infrastructure team or a developer team or a platform team? Is the balance even? And if it is, if you can, everyone gets the right slice of pizza or, or the pie chart, then you're going to have a lot better time as well. You're not going to overload a team. You're not going to burn out individuals. Making sure that balance is key and that you have the correct abstractions between your teams is so important. Before, it's, before you start writing any code or making plans, that is the best thing to focus on, I would say. All right, all right. So, you know, I wanted to uh, kind of shift gears a bit and talk about uh, kind of uh, what's happening in the space right now, especially uh, given the macroeconomic conditions, you know, um, things that have been happening over the past year. Uh, just, you know, a lot of a lot of companies really bleeding out there, a lot of layoffs. Uh, so, you know, we, I, I think it wouldn't do justice to talk about the ecosystem and ignore all of that stuff. You know, it would be the elephant in the room. So I want to just, uh, you know, get from you what you see out there, especially related to uh, the situation with uh, the layoffs and and, and just uh, difficult, uh, you know, the situation in, in the start, both in the startups and in the big enterprises in, in the space. Uh, what do you see happening? And uh, yeah, uh, you know, I know, I know that uh, CNCF is also doing a lot to help. And if you can even touch on some of that uh, along in your response, so that would be really great. Yes. So we just had the cloud native security summit or cloud native security con in Seattle, Washington in the US and uh, back in February, the beginning of February. And it was at that point in time, we had started working with folks and realizing we're, we're seeing layoffs across the world and we want to help, just like you said. So we opened up the ability for folks to come if they had been recently laid off or uh, you know, looking for a job, we, we've invited folks as we've had capacity and tickets and funding to do so. Uh, it's it's my hope that we're able to increase that over time. Uh, but uh, for KubeCon, for, for all of these events, we very much have a focus on wanting to see folks get hired and work within the space. And so if you need a ticket, if, if you need help, we have a maintainer fund, we've got a scholarship fund. 
Uh, we have a recently laid off uh, allotment of tickets. So we are actively trying to do more in that space to, you know, please feel free to reach out to me and I'm happy to direct you or, uh, to the right folks to be able to help out with that. But um, I think it was 200 tickets that we had available set aside for folks impacted by recent job loss or um, uh, anything happening on that front. And, and just like you said, it's been difficult with the, with the financial outlook for the market and really trying to figure things out for a lot of folks. But one thing that we're seeing is that and uh, organizations are hiring people that want to work in open source. So if you truly want to, and this is my, you know, I granted I'm biased. I work for the CNCF. I, I've, I've built my personal career on open source, but I really maintain that that's one of the best things that you can do. If you want, you, people can look at your resume. They can look at your CV. They can look at your qualifications. But what really speaks volumes is your interactions and engagements with open source. Doesn't have to be code. Does not have to be code. As long as you can work with the community and you can show how you interact with others, that gives organizations a great, you, you've given them a deeper insight further than anyone else into how you work with others and all of the, truly what you're capable of, what you're, what is your potential. And by doing that, you, you learn a lot. You learn a lot from some of the world's best developers and infrastructure engineers. And uh, so not only do you get that learning, but you get something that as you go from job to job is always a referenceable thing. Sometimes you work on projects and other things internally, and you're never going to be able to share that code with others, right? It's protected. It's, it's, it's internal. It's private code. It's closed source. Um, it's difficult to share. But when, you, when you've worked with people in the open source space, you have that reference point. And uh, what's even more important is you have that community. Uh, I, I've seen three or four people just within the past week say, hey, I've either quit my job, I've been laid off, something happened. And immediately, you know, on a, like a Monday, Tuesday, by Friday, these people have jobs. And so that's wow. truly the power of the community at work. And we want to help each other out. Uh, it's it's uh, it, one of my uh, friends and ex-colleagues from Disney, Justin Garrison, uh, had, had a hilarious tweet. Uh, I bring it up all the time. And it was, how do you make friends after 30? join Kubernetes or CNCF project community here. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's right. It's true. It's definitely been the case for me. I've met some, some of the best people I, I've ever known from the community and I'm, I'm happy to be working in it with people. So uh, yeah, if you need help, please reach out. We'd love to find something for you on that front. Uh, even if it's, you know, a, a long flight to get to Amsterdam, please reach out about Chicago and uh, our KubeCon Cloud NativeCon in uh, November. So just, it, we want to help. We want to help. Wow, that's uh, that's pretty encouraging. That's some practical advice as well on just uh, things you can do, especially the point about getting involved in open source. Uh, and you know, if someone is looking for signs of uh, sectors or companies within the sectors that are hiring actively, how to spot the good ones. Uh, how, any advice uh, to, those, to those people who, you know, how do you spot uh, where's the next place that you probably want to spend the next five, 10 years, which kind of company you want to be in? Uh, any advice on those lines? Yeah, it's a uh, so we do have a job site. I think it's jobs.cncf.io, uh, and that's a great place, a great starting place to take a look at what are some people hiring for, and some of the more you, you can kind of take a look at the listings and see if there are remote jobs that you want or ones local to you. So you have that ability to filter. It's a great starting place to take a look. Though I would say some of the other options that you have, if if you have a bit of a deeper insight into what you want to focus on, uh, taking a look at CNCF projects, do you want to focus on Kubernetes or Argo or OpenTelemetry, or is there a specific focus that you have uh, or, or a specific technical competency or focus that you want to really hone, hone in on? Uh, is it security? Is it storage? Is it application delivery? Interacting with those groups will also give you a really great insight into who's looking at the space right now, uh, which companies are involved, which individuals are great to speak with, those kinds of concerns. And again, I'm more than happy to help out on that front too, if you reach out and kind of have an, a general idea of where you want to get started, uh, I can definitely point you in the right direction there. Uh, what's difficult for many folks is that they, many folks have kind of come to the conclusion, like, I, I want to get inv invested in open source, I just don't know where to go. How do I start contributing? And uh, the the short answer is it, it's fairly easy. It, it, you can jump into any group and start contributing. It doesn't have to be code. It can be documentation. It can just be sharing your, your insights from having worked in the space. That's incredibly valid. 
opening up an issue to make something better or even asking a question, incredibly valuable. And so it's you can always jump in that way, but uh, it always is easier when you kind of know a starting point uh, or, or where you want to go within the space. So take the time, jump into some groups, take a, a listen and a learn and a, and a look at things. And once you get a better insight into where you might want to go, it, it, the journey just becomes that much easier. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. And, you know, I want to also uh, talk a bit about the other side of the story, which is uh, uh, not just the individuals that are impacted, but organizations themselves, the vendors, and even some of the open source projects, uh, you know, and if they are impacted in any way. Uh, what do you see out there? Um, do you see uh, what kind of effects, other domino effects of, you know, the economy that are felt even in the open source uh, projects uh, in any way? Uh, could you kind of give us uh, some insight into uh, that side of the story? Yeah. So because of the economic climate right now, we are starting to see, you know, which something that's great that's coming out of that is that there's a deeper dependence, reliance and investment on open source. So instead of seeing these organizations pull away from projects and focus less on them, they're actually focusing more because open source lets them do more with less it's open source and you develop your strategy and how to work with that and adopt it in your organization. As a foundation, we help out with that. So we're seeing folks, uh, you know, really uh, pledge deeply into that framework because it's worked so well for them and it's going to help out through financial hardship as well. Uh, We're also doing a lot of work with the uh, FinOps Foundation, which is another Linux Foundation project, just like the CNCF. And that's our upcoming CTO summit uh, for uh, Amsterdam is going to be focused on how to drive uh, this FinOps culture within your organization. And I'm very excited to have that session and then share out that report once it's done too, because uh, like you said, more uh, like we've talked about, more people want to do more with less and really getting a good culture around how do you monitor your savings and how do you work with those concerns across your different groups. Um, what we've seen is that a lot of organizations don't internally share out what things cost. And so that makes it difficult for developers and infrastructure teams and other engineers to get a sense for how much this thing costs. You know, if they are able to see it might cost $20,000 and then, oh my gosh, this is, we're, you know, our, our, we could change our CDN or change this, this thing or refactor this part of our application and make it $2,000 a month. They will jump at that opportunity in most cases. Um, same thing, you know, once we've shown developers and infrastructure teams the CPU and the memory, if it's uh, maxing out, they typically will be like, this isn't right. And then they'll want to go in and fix it just as, as part of the craft, is part of the discipline. So uh, exposing that information to folks is really helpful for driving a little bit more cost conscious outcomes and uh, being able to dig deeper into FinOps and those kinds of concerns. It's that's going to be a new kind of job coming up here within the next couple of years too, just like platform engineers, SREs, and others. Um, these, these FinOps roles and jobs are, are going to be highly relevant in driving efficient workloads, uh, creating those blueprints, sharing those out with others. You know, If you want to figure out the best way to run a login cluster on your cloud of choice, how, how do you do that? Uh, sharing that out is going to be a highly relevant thing within the coming months. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure there's just so much uh, practice of FinOps that, uh, you know, needs to be adopted, not just uh, tools, you know, while there are tools out there, but, you know, I think practices really make a big uh, impact uh, when it comes to FinOps, right? Uh, Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. That's the harder part, right? Absolutely. The culture, the mindset, I think for... Uh, I've seen so many times where people have tried to substitute technology in place of culture. It's like, let's let the tech decide that. It's like, no, 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 you need to have a good culture. You need to have this fundamental understanding of how these things work or how to set it up for success in your organization. Uh, Otherwise, you won't be successful. And, uh, you know, it's really uh, cool to see that, you know, organizations are investing even more in open source. Uh, But, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm curious to know if this is just because, you know, uh, thinking of, you know, open source as replacing a paid uh, vendor tool that they're already using, is that how they view open source or is there more to this where you see that, you know, they look at open source as 
uh, value, you know, uh, choosing it because of value and because of its advantages more than just, you know, uh, it doesn't cost as much. Because obviously there are soft costs related to open source as well. Uh, but how do you see organizations looking at open source uh, when it comes to FinOps and cost saving? Is it uh, not what what's more than more than just the cost saving? I think I have seen a lot of folks get take a look at open source in that in that uh, frame of mind, right? It is open source, it is free, but it, it does come with those hidden costs, right? If you pull down an open source project, say Kubernetes, and you go to run it. Uh, it's it, it's not going to stay up all the time if you have applications running on it. You could surely you could stand up Kubernetes and probably be fine. But if you run no apps on it, it does that? <laughs> what have you really done, right? And so by adopting an open source uh, project, that's useful because you don't need to write the code, but uh, it, it's it's already ready. You can go download it. You can run it. You can use it. But it's if you don't know how to use it, right? Like I could, I could go buy a hammer, but if I don't know how to use it, I, I'm just going to create a, a mess. And so, uh, most likely, <laughs> but uh, uh, and remove some nails in the walls. But um, I, I think that uh, it, it always comes down to the build versus buy. You really do have to think about your strategy, like you said, and uh, be intentional on what open source projects make sense for you. Sometimes they might not. Sometimes it, it might be easier to pay somebody for something. But when it comes to open source and running frameworks and adopting that for your strategy, um that's we've seen many many teams be successful in that because they're able to work on it as a collective as a group um and that's that's truly the win you you drive down costs and you drive a higher focus because you maybe you know say say i'm a uh like i'm reddit or airbnb or intuit um all of them have their own business models is is it is infrastructure engineering their core competency not really it's selling uh, rental properties it's uh, providing tax uh, things it's uh, Mer you know mercedes it's selling cars and and the services that uh, unite folks on that front so uh, all of those things are not directly related to cloud but cloud helps them achieve their goals and so by working with an open source in that space we can solve these problems and level up all of these organizations all at the same time that's what saves money is because Mercedes might go through uh, something or an outage, share that information with others that ends up helping Intuit or Reddit and other organizations and so on and so forth. So it's not just it, siloed within your organization. That's truly the win. And that's really what drives costs down is not having the siloed knowledge space. It's having this massive pool of information from everyone and collectively working to fix these problems together. Again, community comes to the rescue and, and really helps level all of us up. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, that, that's just a great response about, you know, how to look at open source. And, you know, as we wind down, I just wanted to ask about, you know, uh, again, mentioning that KubeCon is around the corner. I want to just find out um, which talks are you most excited, most looking forward to? Uh, what, do you, what are you waiting to see at KubeCon, uh, KubeCon this year? Uh, yeah, what are you most excited about? So I'm I'm really excited for a lot of the WebAssembly talks. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm again biased. I, I'm, I'm working with the program committee for um, the uh, Wasm Day event at KubeCon as one of the co-located events uh, kicking off the event. Uh, so very excited for things in that space. I'm also really curious on some of the ML and AI ops talks that folks are going to be given as well. And uh, the end users, again, biased because I work very closely with them, but I'm genuinely interested in seeing how they adopt and work with these things. With mm -hmm. vendors, typically it's going to be a talk focused on a feature or a project or something that's a little bit more, uh, you know, fun and nerdy and engineering related. Uh, with the end users, it's typically more about how to operate and run the service. And uh, I, uh, being an SRE for so many years and, and an application developer before that, that's really what interests me. So I'm going to jump into some sessions on that front and uh, take a look at some of the projects and, and uh, around Edge, WebAssembly, and some of the other focuses that people are working on. Um, Chris Anacek recently published a Velocity report. He releases that regularly showing some of the most popular projects in the CNCF landscape. And as no surprise, number one is Kubernetes. And then after that, uh, we're seeing Argo and Backstage and, um, and uh, a few others in that space as well. 
Uh, open telemetry is number two. I think then Argo, then Backstage in terms of what, what that looked like in January. And so uh, we're seeing folks really uh, happy that Kubernetes is, has solidified and is becoming the standard in so many spaces. Containerization is, is just a universal standard that we're seeing in many organizations right now. And so seeing the focus shift now to CICD and internal development platforms and telemetry, that's a really encouraging thing to get a sense of what's next in the ecosystem, uh, especially around edge and WebAssembly, cloud development uh, environments, all of those kinds of things that you're starting to hear uh, on your buzzword bingo charts. Uh, that's they're, they're, uh, I'm very excited to see what's next on that front. And then the, the other things we talked about too with AI, everything else, uh, just a wild time to take a look at computing as, as always. Wow, that's a really cool uh, yeah, uh, trailer of what's coming up. Uh, you mentioned ML and AI multiple times in this uh, conversation. Uh, I just uh, wanted to just dig in a little bit more and ask you, uh, you know, um, any of the CNCF tools that are actually related and, you know, making a difference in the space, uh, any anything more specific that you can tell us about, uh, you know, ML and AI and how uh, the cloud native tooling, what role it's playing in that space? Yeah, so uh, nothing that comes to mind immediately. I'm actually going to go have a look at the landscape mm -hmm. after this talk, but uh, we have 153 projects uh, at, at last I counted, I think just last week, but more are coming in, more sandbox submissions are being taken a look at by our technical oversight committee, uh, the folks that decide which projects make it in and, and how they advance. So there's always new projects coming in on that front and new submissions to take a look at. But um, I, I haven't seen any directly related to uh, some of the newer computing things that we've seen. I know that Intuit is doing some uh, interesting things in that space. And, and uh, Numa Proj, I think, is the open source project that they're starting to take a look at that with and work with on that front. So definitely recommend checking that out if you're interested. Uh, it's not a CNCF project now, but just an interesting thing within the space uh, that's, that's worth taking a look at. And then... Um, when it comes to uh, uh, anything else on that front, I'd say stay tuned. Uh, I'm, I'm really curious to see what comes out of all the talks at KubeCon, the Cloud Native Con in Amsterdam. Uh, but uh, definitely we'll highlight those as I find them because I'm uh, always looking for some new topics to talk about and, and some fun uh, talks to share on that front. Yeah, maybe our next talk sometime later would be focused on ML and AI, hopefully. Uh, <laughs> but you know, the last thing I want to ask you is just, uh, you know, we we touched on so many things, you you know, your responses really, uh, you know, highlighted so many uh, points that I think, you know, uh, yeah, it's hard to go in depth into all of them. Uh, and, you know, I'd encourage listeners to even go back and listen to uh, some of the things <laughs> that Taylor had just mentioned. There's so much packed into it. What's one thing that you'd like uh, listeners to take away from this episode? Uh, what would you like to leave them? A parting thought? Give them parting thought. Yeah, a, a parting thought I would love to leave you all with is uh, really that intention. It, it's are are you having fun doing what you're doing? Is there something else that you'd like to explore? Uh, the the cloud native space is vast. There's so much going on at any given point in time, and like like uh, Twain said, we we talk about so many things today. Um, it, are you interested in AI? Are you interested in storage? Are you what are you interested in? I, I'd say it's worth it's you owe it to yourself to go explore that and to make time. Uh, for yourself on that front. Even I know your day is probably packed. There's there's tons of things going on, but you've listened through to the end of this episode. And uh, I, I highly recommend taking a look at what's available out there and always challenging yourself and pushing yourself to take a look at what's new. Uh, you're, you're Learning something new is, is fun and beneficial and will help you think about your world differently. Uh, typically, you'll find really awesome ways to be successful and uh, new ideas, which it should always be happening in your world. So uh, yeah, uh, really excited. And if anyone wants to reach out or chat, find me on LinkedIn, Twitter, around the interwebs, CNCF Slack. I'd love to have a conversation with you. All right. Wow. Uh, yeah, that was really positive note to end on. And, you know, thank you so much, Taylor, for just, uh, you know, just uh, being uh, that uh, voice of enthusiasm, I'd say that, you know, we really need at this, especially at this time. And, uh, you you gave just so much of practical input on what uh, you know someone can do if they're looking for direction and even a change. Um, you know, so so thanks so much just for uh, all that you do and for just uh, being uh, really uh, a great voice of uh, positivity and enthusiasm in the space. Really appreciate all that you do. Uh, Thank you for and, having me. Yeah. 
And, you know, uh, but yeah, not yet though, stick around because we've got a couple of questions <laughs> for you before you go to get to know you a bit. Um, yeah, we'll jump into that actually right away. Uh, so yeah, your, yeah. Alternate career, your alternate career path, if not for your job in tech. Yeah, so I think that um, um, I, I would say interesting thought, interesting thought. I think I really like reading up on psychology and just figuring out how people work. What are their motivations? What's driving them? Uh, I, I think something in social sciences or psychology would have been a really fun path for me. Uh, as, uh, not many people know, but I uh, was really interested in becoming a medical professional, whether that be a doctor, surgeon, something like that before uh, getting really deep into tech. So that was also another path for me. So it's definitely something involving hospital or, or uh, social health sciences and things like that. But uh, yeah, that's in, in another life, in, in another multiverse, that definitely would have been my really path cool. for sure. Do you have a favorite book or a psychologist that you follow? Yeah, so so actually behind me, let me get the perspective right. So these books right here are called The Black Books. They're by Carl Jung. Uh, I love his work. Oh, okay. I've taken yeah. a look at uh, Carl Jung, Freud, all those folks. Um, there's another uh, person, um, I think Barry Kaufman. Uh, he, he has some really interesting things on uh, trauma and communities and just, again, how people work and adjust to the things that life throws into their path. So that's also, uh, so yeah, just some top of mind folks that I, that I think through on that front. Wow, really neat, really neat. Um, I want to ask, uh, which part of your job do you love the most? Obviously, you wear many hats. Uh, so, you know, uh, which which part of your job do you love most? You like teaching, coding, connecting with people, travel, presenting, or something else? That's, that's a really difficult one to answer because all, all of the above are of great fascination to me. And I, I love getting to connect with people, teach, uh, talk with people, give presentation, all of those. All of those are so much fun. But I think when it really comes down to it, it's that connection with people, that genuine connection. Um, I, I like giving talks on stage, but it's not. it doesn't feel sustainable to, or, or worthwhile to me until I've been able to connect with those people and um, you know, get that feedback like, oh, I like this. Uh, I would have liked to hear more about that. Uh, it's, what do you think about this topic? Um, that direct connection is, I think, the most fun thing. And then uh, showing somebody something that just lights their eyes up when they finally get a topic or concept or have a great idea on how to do something differently, I think is uh, that's that's why I do this. It's 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 truly what makes that personal to me and love being able to work with folks and see those life-changing moments and just those sparks ignite uh, in their eyes and in their minds as, as time goes on. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Um, which is the CNCF project that you're most familiar with? Uh, uh, by far and away, absolutely has to be Kubernetes. Uh, okay. I got involved with the project like 2018, uh, got to serve on the release team, lead a release, uh, okay. work within Sig Docs and Sig Release. So uh, love love all the Kubernetes family. Which company were you with at that time for the second release when, that you led? Uh, so, so I led. So I led the. Um, what was it one nineteen? And so that was when was that? I think that was while I was still at Disney, and then okay. worked as the emeritus advisor uh, for one twenty one uh, when I was at HashiCorp. So uh, yeah, very very fun. I, I started getting involved and in, in aware of Kubernetes back in twenty. Uh, I think it was 2015, 2016. Um, and uh, working while I was working at the Cleveland Clinic uh, Hospital there as far as how we run our containers in the cloud and uh, take assessments from folks uh, in the neurological space. So that was cool. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's way back. Do you see Kubernetes as still new or do you kind of see it as, you know, uh, it's a mature project been around it's, a while? How do you see it? I, I, whenever I see it, I'm like, oh my gosh, you've grown, you know, every time, every time a new release comes out, like you were this tall when I last saw you. Um, I, I, I remember it's it, the, the most interesting thing to me about Kubernetes is that one, like one six to one eight, you can still kind of keep all of the components of Kubernetes in your head and be aware of them. And now it's just, oh my goodness, it's just no one, no one person can keep all of the Kubernetes code landscape and pieces how they fit together in their head anymore. It's really grown as a project and become stable on that front. Seeing Kubernetes uh, custom resource definitions or CRDs and just the power that that unlocks for folks 
uh, for their workloads. That I think was a critical moment for the project and has just continued uh, pushing that towards uh, just the, the, the best way to do things as it comes to containers. Mm -hmm. uh, one achievement of yours or the CNCFs uh, that you're most proud of from the past year? I think when it comes to CNCF, I, I would say the their focus on maintainers and really trying to, to fill that gap as, as maintainers and other folks are raising up problems and trying to work with getting things fixed within their communities, their projects, or just how open source works in general. I think that that's been a real big focus of the CNCF within the past uh, you know, year, two years, uh, even before I joined. I liked that they've changed their look on their website and are focusing things to be more fun and accessible for others um, by uh, adjusting things too, like, like we talked about before with giving people tickets that were just affected by uh, layoffs and other things too. It's truly, you know, the organization is growing and as time goes on, the focuses and priorities change as with anything. But now, as I feel like the organization's really coming into its full momentum on being able to serve the communities that it was started with and, and should really rally around. All right, all right. Uh, last question for you, Taylor. Uh, your go-to place, uh, if you want to stay updated on what's uh, latest and greatest. Or, uh, where do you get your info from? So uh, the the short answer is RSS feeds. Oh my gosh, so many. Oh, really? um, <laughs> I have. Um, that's, like, I, I... that's like old school. No? That's like a cassette player these days. <laughs> it's like shh, it's really cool. <laughs> yeah, I've, oh my I goodness, so many RSS, By the way, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 but, so great. It's it's yeah. I, I definitely have some newsletters and other things that I like are some of my favorites, but uh, I, I can't remember them offhand, but. Um, I'll link those into my RSS feeds. I use a, uh, I, I used to use Instapaper, then I moved to Pocket, and then I finally moved to something called Readwise. And they okay. have a, a product called Reader. So I've actually, I use like Feedly and a couple other things, but ended up with Readwise. And okay. plugged in all my RSS feeds, I've got like, I think 200 different channels or something like that. And so um, pull in, that's, that's my morning newspaper. I, I take a look at that and I'll be reading that late at night, highlighting things, taking notes, and then uh, you know, keeping an, keep an eye on what's next and what's happening within the community. A lot less noise than something like a Twitter, right? Oh my goodness. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's uh, lots, lots of tweets, lots of noise on that front, but a little bit less than RSS feeds, which was, which is nice. And then, um, yeah, it, it's great to see chat GPT and figuring out ways to summarize different things too. You know, if you don't have time to read that, <laughs> that 50 minute article, you might be able to get some help from AI on that front, which is great to see. <laughs> Yeah, Taylor, it was a pleasure hosting you. Thanks so much uh, for joining us, especially given your busy schedule with uh, the event coming up and all that's happening. Thank you so much for just sparing an hour with us. Really appreciate hearing from you. And uh, so much that was just timely and so much that I think will make a difference to many who listen to this. Uh, thank you so much for all that you shared with us today. Thank you so much, And, and uh, to our listeners, uh, if you want to connect with Taylor, uh, you know, uh, if you're at uh, KubeCon Amsterdam, uh, definitely, you know, uh, meet him and, uh, you know, have a conversation. But you'll also find him on social media. Only Dole is his and his, uh, social media handles, O-N-L-Y-D-O-L-E. So you'll find him on pretty much all the platforms uh, with that handle. Uh, so with that, uh, we wrap up this uh, podcast. Thank you so much again for uh, joining us and listening, uh, listeners. And thank you, Taylor, for, for joining us here. All right. That's it for now. Bye-bye.